Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad we can be back together uh, this morning. If you happen to be maybe a guest with us or for whatever reason might not know it, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church. And over the, the course of the summer, I've had a little bit more opportunity to preach because our lead pastor, Pastor Brett, has been gone on sabbatical, but he's back now. So happy about that. Absolutely love you, brother. So glad you're back. Molly, haven't said hi to you yet. Welcome back. So um, just so glad that they're back. But, uh, but has, as they've been out getting renewed, getting refreshed, getting uh, worked over by the Lord in various ways, um, I've had the chance to preach a little bit more uh, regularly. And as we've been doing that this summer, I've been taking us through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So we're going to continue on in there, uh, in that book. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, and we'll read from there in just a bit. If you happen not to have a Bible, you could raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We'll read from there in just a minute. Um, now, Paul Tripp, many of you know who Paul Tripp is, I think. Um, he's a pastor. He's a counselor. Uh, Paul Tripp has been very influential in the uh, biblical counseling world. He's been very helpful to me over the years for various reasons. And Paul Tripp has a, 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 what's called a Doctor of Ministry degree. Okay, so hold on to that information. He's got a Doctor of Ministry degree. And uh, he tells this story, and if you know any of his material, you've probably heard this story before. But he tells this story, um, I don't know all the, the details exactly, but he's, uh, it's a story about his kids and how one day they were out playing, and one of them got pretty badly hurt. He got smacked in the face with something, uh, in rough shape, bloody face, needed stitches. And, uh, and Paul Tripp talks about how he, he was really surprised at how calm his son was uh, through this whole ordeal. And so at some point, he was able to, you know, ask his son something like, why are you so calm? And, and his son responded with, to say something basically like, I'm just so glad that my daddy is a doctor. Okay, well... Of course, this is not the kind of doctor that Paul Tripp was, right? He was uh, uh, not a medical doctor. He had a doctor of ministry. So son was a little bit confused, but his son was really set at peace by this, what he thought was true, um, that his dad had the skills and had the ability to, uh, to help him out. So that provided some peace for him. Uh, it, was, uh, it was false information, but, uh, but yet it makes the point that um, if we can have some information, and, and it's true information, and we can believe that, that really can help to provide hope to help us through uh, very difficult circumstances, help us to find peace, help us to persevere uh, through those difficulties when we know what is true. And so when we come to this place in 1 Thessalonians, uh, at this part of chapter 4, we'll be starting at verse 13, uh, we find the Thessalonians are grieving. Um, Paul wants to address them in their grief. Uh, he wants to give them some information that will shed some light on their circumstances. And uh, he wants to inject some hope into their grief. And then he wants the Thessalonians to take this information and turn around and use it to comfort one another, to encourage one another. And so for the sake of the message here today, just three parts. Uh, number one, information. What is this information that Paul is going to give to the Thessalonians? Number two, hope. What's this hope all about? What's so hopeful about this hope that Paul is going to offer here? And then number three, encouragement and, and comfort. How might we be comforted by this? How might we help one another uh, to be encouraged and comforted with this information? 
So let's pray. Please pray with me, and then we'll read and, and carry on. So, Lord, thank you for the opportunity again that we have to be together this morning. And I would pray, Father God, that you would um, make the grace of the Lord Jesus to be with us. You would make um, us to feel your love, Father God, and you would give us the fellowship of the Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. We'll go to the end of the chapter. Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. So again, we have the Thessalonians, and they're grieving here. And it should be noted that grief in itself is perfectly okay. Uh, Grief is normal. It's perfectly appropriate in the face of various uh, difficulties, various hardships. It's very appropriate in the face of loss, especially in in, in the face of the death of a loved one. Very appropriate. Jesus himself grieved. He grieved at the loss of his friend Lazarus. Jesus himself wept. It is okay to grieve. Jesus himself grieved. And so the concern here for Paul is not that the Thessalonians are grieving sort of in and of itself, but it's that they might fall off of that grief down into uh, despair. He did not want them to grieve without hope. Um, he didn't, uh, and that's, that's essentially what despair is, as one way to think about it. It's, it's grief with no hope, without any hope. And so Paul is writing here to inform them of some things, and he wants that to inject hope into their grief, and he wants them to encourage one another with this hope, with this information. So first of all, information. Um, if they are uninformed, as Paul says here, um, with what is he informing them? Well, we see, that I, uh, we see this, I think, um, really explicitly right away in verse 13. Uh, look at verse 13, 13 again. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. So he's talking about those who are being asleep, informing them about those who are asleep. And asleep here, this is just a, a common uh, euphemism for death. And uh, in fact, in verse 16, Paul is more explicit about that. And uh, he says that these are those who are dead in Christ. And so in other words, he's talking about those who were Christians when they died. They, they, they died trusting that, in fact, Jesus died for them and that also Jesus rose up from the dead so that they could be forgiven of their sins, so that they could have favor with God. They died trusting these things that we believe, that we trust as Christians. But they died. And the Thessalonians are grieving here, I think, because of that, because these loved ones of theirs 
have died. And they're grieving also because they don't know how that squares with the fact that Jesus is coming back. How does their, the death of our loved ones relate to the fact that Jesus is coming back? They knew that Jesus was coming back. In fact, um, uh, the fact of Jesus coming back is a major theme throughout the book of, of, of uh, 1 Thessalonians. Um, they, uh, uh, Paul mentions something related to Jesus coming back at the end of every single chapter uh, in the book. In fact, uh, at, at chapter 1, verse 10, it says that they were explicitly actively waiting for Jesus to come back from heaven. And they were probably expecting Jesus to come back soon, probably expecting him to come back in their lifetime. And so they were grieving, understandably. Um, they had lost their loved ones, and they also thought, you know, maybe their loved ones then would, would miss out on this wonderful event of Jesus coming back that they were so looking forward to, that they were waiting for. And so Paul's going to go on and give them some information about that. And he, and, and he basically does that in verses 14 through 17. And, and if we sort of take these verses as a whole, um, there is a good bit of mystery, I think, surrounding just what exactly is going on here in the details. And historically, there's been a good bit of debate about what exactly is going on here in the details, um, especially as it relates sort of to the timing of all of this. And how, these, how this might relate to other, ev- other things that we see in Scripture about events surrounding Jesus coming back. And so you've heard the, the saying, I, I would suppose, um, uh, don't lose the, the forest for the trees, right? You've probably heard that saying. Well, this can, be, uh, this can be a passage where it's really easy to do that. It can be very easy to get sort of caught up in the details, caught up in the individual trees... And, and sort of miss the beauty of the big picture, miss the, the forest uh, as we see it taken together. And Paul's emphasis, I would say here, without a doubt in my mind, is the forest. That's his emphasis here. He's not emphasizing the trees here. He's not, uh, that's the trees are not his take-home message here. It is the forest. And so the forest here for Paul, uh, actually I think it's really pretty straightforward um, for all, all the ways that we can complicate a passage like this, it's pretty straightforward. And, and really, I think the meat of the nut of this passage, it's at the end of verse 17. And so, Paul says, we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. So, bottom line, think about a loved one that you have lost in Christ. You will you absolutely will see them again. You absolutely will be with them again, and you will absolutely be with them, with Christ, with Jesus, when all is said and done. Verse 17 again, we will always be with the Lord. That's the big picture. That's the forest that I think God wants us to see here. Uh, Now, that said, uh, as far as it goes with sort of how this works out, we do see some trees, so to speak. We see some details, and so I'm going to touch on a few things here. Uh, First of all, verse 16. uh, Verse 16 says that Jesus will descend from heaven. So, first of all, just remember that that's where Jesus is right now, okay? It might seem simple, but just get our bearings. That's where Jesus is right now. After Jesus rose up from the dead spent 40 days on earth, and then he, descend, or then he ascended into heaven. And, uh, and verse 14 then says that Jesus will bring back, when he descends, he will bring with him those who have died. 
those who have died, uh, uh, yeah, those who have fallen asleep. And then in verse 16, Paul says that the dead in Christ will rise. They will be resurrected. So which is it? Are, 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 are they with Jesus and in heaven and coming with him, or are they in the grave? Well, actually, it's both. Both is true. The, the spirits of our loved ones who have died in Christ. And you, can, and, 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 and you can picture your loved one. We've all lost people that we love who are in Christ. And you can, you can picture them right now. Their spirits are with Jesus in his presence right now in heaven. But their bodies are still on earth. Their bodies are still um, in the grave. Uh, this is what theology textbooks might call the intermediate state. Okay, so this is the intermediate state. This is not the final state, um, but, it is, uh, uh, but it's this time where it's between death, uh, the death of our bodies, and the resurrection of our bodies. This is the intermediate state. And, uh, and, and, and the, the, so it's not the final state, but that final state of things that will be part of what the Bible calls the new creation. And the new creation, really, the new creation, that's heaven. Really, that's heaven in, in the ultimate sense, in the eternal sense. Um, uh, and until that time, then, Jesus and his people, they are in what we maybe would call the present heaven, the heaven as it is right now, but the eternal heaven often the heaven that we think of when we think of like where we're going to live forever with Jesus, actually, that is the new creation. And that is still to come. And this eternal heaven, this will be a physical place and it will be experienced with resurrected and transformed physical bodies. Uh, in fact, we were made for this earth. We were made for this earth. We were made to live in a physical world. And, and so Jesus will ultimately remake this earth and he will establish his dwelling with his people forever. And, uh, and related to that then, the, the picture that I think we get here uh, in, this, in, this, uh, in these few verses, um, it's that when Jesus descends then, he's descending from heaven, and he's going to bring with him the, the souls of his followers... And, and, and there will be this command, and their bodies will be raised up, and their bodies will be joined back to their souls, united again, and they will live with Jesus and his people forever. And their dwelling place together forever, always with Jesus, will be this earth remade, the new creation. New creation earth. Verse 17 again. We who are alive who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And the language there, um, at first glance, might seem strange, like, oh, we're going to live forever, like, in the clouds, just floating around someplace. But the language here, I think, the imagery there, um, it's actually very similar to what the Thessalonians probably would have uh, understood as it relates to a king or, or maybe a dignitary who was uh, uh, coming in to visit a city during uh, that time. In fact, archaeologists have found coins with inscriptions to this effect with emperors visiting cities. And uh, the idea is that the citizens would go out to meet the king or go out to meet the dignitary and then escort him back into the city with all sorts of pomp and circumstances. And I think, uh, or pomp and circumstance. And I think uh, that's, I think, what Paul has in mind here. 
Now, I'm not an emperor, I'm not a king, I'm not a dignitary, but I actually get to experience this a little bit. Um, oftentimes when I come home, these two little rugrats here, my kids, I'll pull into the driveway and I'll start gathering up my stuff and before I can even open the door, these kids are running down the sidewalk and they meet me at my door and they're all excited and they escort me up the sidewalk into the house. And, and honestly, I think that's the, the picture that we get here with Jesus. He will, he will descend from heaven, he's heading for earth, and his people will, will be gathered to meet him in the air and escort him uh, to settle finally in new creation. And, um, and in the mix of all of that, uh, verse 16, I think, gives us a sense that this is going to happen, or when this happens, this is not going to be a secret event by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I stress that just because um, some people, uh, when they're thinking about this passage and some of the debate around this passage, um, they, they think about something that's called the rapture. I'm sure many of you have, have heard of the idea of the rapture. And, and that has something to do with, with the idea of, of true Christians being raptured up or being caught up, as the language is here uh, in this text, caught up to be taken to heaven to really escape some of the tribulation of earth. And often, when people think about that, they think that is uh, something that will be sort of secretive, a sort of a secret rapture where so, sort of suddenly true Christians are caught up, they're gone, and those who are left behind, left, those who are left behind, um, some of you get that, um, uh, uh, are sort of like left to wonder, like, where the heck did everybody go? Um, but I think that the picture we get, the language in this passage, really indicates that if this is going to be very loud, this is going to be very obvious, this is going to be a very public event, nothing secret about it. And, uh, and when Jesus comes back, it won't be just him, uh, but of course he'll have the souls of his people with him, but I think he'll also be flanked by an army of angels. So this is big time. I mean, just massive. And uh, so verse, uh, verse 16 um, Mentions It mentions a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the, the sound of a trumpet. And I think that, that gives us this impression. It's very big, it's loud, it's public. Jesus is king. And he's coming with this entourage, this army of angels around him. Perhaps the archangel is, is, a, is a general in the, uh, angel, over the angelic army, uh, perhaps. And you've got the trumpet of God. And, and trumpets in the Old Testament often associated with, with uh, the idea of God's presence, uh, associated oftentimes with the idea of battle, um, associated often with the idea of God putting down his enemies and rescuing his people. So, so that's in the mix as well in, in this passage. Um, so some of the details surrounding Jesus coming back there. And, and, and whatever the case, however those details fit together, um, and I might not have all of that right, that's okay, um, with some of the, the fine points of that. But for sure, and what I think I do have right, is the heart and the thrust of this passage. Again, it is this focus on the forest rather than the trees. And that forest here, as far as it concerns what Paul mainly wants to give to inform these uninformed Thessalonians at the time, what he wants to give them, and it's for us today just as much, it's that those who have died in Christ, we will see them again. We will embrace them again. We will be with them, and we will be together with them with Jesus. That 
is the bottom line here. And that is absolutely true. And that is intended to inject hope into whatever grief that we might um, be suffering. So thinking about this hope for just a little bit, um, what about this hope? I mean, like, what fills it out? What, what's in it? It, it, it? it feels like it's sort of floating out there in the air a little bit. What, what fills up hope? What's desirable, desirable about it? Um, what would we want that this offers? Um, uh, you think of Paul Tripp's son. Again, he had this hope because he could envision, I think, this recovery of sorts. He could envision how he was cared for by his dad, that somehow that would work out for him. And that gave him peace so that he could have peace and, and persevere through the trial. So in this case, what, what makes up the sort of the stuff of the hope that Paul has in mind here? Well, I think the bottom line of it, it's really twofold, and I've already mentioned it. Um, on the one hand, it, it's that we will be with our loved ones who have died in Christ. We really will embrace them again. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, we'll not just be embracing them on a desert island someplace, but we will be embracing them with Jesus. We will be together with Jesus. We will always be with Jesus. That is guaranteed. And I say it's guaranteed because I should say as we're talking about hope here, as we're talking about um, New Testament hope, the hope that's in context here in 1 Thessalonians, we are talking about a guarantee. So don't confuse the word hope here with how we often use the, hope, the word hope in our everyday language. Right? This is not um, wishful thinking. I hope it's sunny tomorrow. I hope it rains tomorrow. I hope this person will be where I'm going. I hope this person will be over here. Whatever. Um, it's not wishful thinking. That's not the kind of hope that Paul has in mind here. Um, so the hope here, actually, we could probably just change the word out, give it the word certainty. Okay, hope is, uh, uh, in this context, is just rock-solid confidence. It's rock-solid certainty that what God says is true. It's rock-solid certainty about God's promises, um, especially what he promises and says is true about the future. And so in this case, it is just rock-solid certainty that we will see our loved ones again who have died in Christ. We will be together with them, and we will be together with them with Jesus. Guaranteed. Verse 17. Will we be caught up together with them, and so we will always be with the Lord. Amazing. And really, that is, 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 is just... Uh, it's so good. That's so exciting. Uh, why? Uh, even beyond just being with our loved ones, beyond even just being with Jesus, but like... What does that even look like? What's happening around us as we're uh, together? And, and we don't necessarily see this immediately in this uh, passage, but we can glean this from other parts of Scripture. But here's a major piece that's so good about this hope, is that there will be no more grief in the new creation. There'll be no more causes of grief in the new creation. Revelation 21, verse 4, popular verse, one of my favorites. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. They're gone. They've passed away. Grief will have passed away. Grief will have passed away because death will have passed away. Grief will pass away because every reason for grief 
will have passed away. When Jesus comes back and he ultimately establishes new creation, then all sin, all causes of sin, all the effects of sin, all of it will be removed. Uh, I think actually uh, that's probably part and parcel or connected with this angelic army that's coming uh, with Jesus. I think we can glean some of that from other parts of Scripture. I won't get into it now. But uh, the, the, the complete routing out of the new creation kingdom of the earth, uh, of all evil, all causes of evil, all sin, all effects of sin, it's going to be massive. And, uh, and then Revelation 21 verse 3 says that God will dwell with us. And we will be his people. And God himself will be with us as our God. That is the prize of new creation. That's the prize. That's our greatest hope. And that is certain. We will always be with the Lord. It's amazing. And so death, um, the grief that we might feel in the face of death, it's not the last word. Not the last state of affairs. And, and, and more generally, too, um, uh, even short of death, the grief that we might feel, um, not only related to death, but really any other suffering, any other affliction, difficulty, hardship, really any brokenness of any sort that sort of is short of death, which is really that ultimate brokenness. Um, the grief that we might feel related to any of that it will not have the last word. That will not be the final state of affairs. That's the guarantee. That's the hope that we have because of Jesus. Our grief and the cause of our grief, it will come to an end. Okay? And, and that is significant because really grief can turn to despair when we don't see an end. That's when we move into despair. There's no end to this suffering. Now we're in despair. Um, but this, this uh, passage helps us to see into the future, and we can see that there is an end to it, and so that infuses hope. This has the potential to infuse deep hope into our grief. Not that we would stop grieving, but it would not be despair. And so again, consider what it is that is causing you grief. Um, it could be one, of, uh, one or a hundred of a million things that could be a source of grief for you. Um, it could be something as big as somebody you love who has died in Christ. It could be something maybe less big like a broken wrist. Um, but there's, there's trouble there. There's, there's, there's tension there. There's grief there. There's sadness there. And whatever it is, um, that will with certainty, come to an end. And it will give way to always being with the people that we love who are in Christ, with Christ himself, with Jesus himself, forever. And believing that that's certain, that's hope. That's New Testament hope here. Believing that that's certain. That is the kind of hope that's in view here. That's the kind of hope that this passage means to inject into our grief to keep us from falling off of grief into uh, despair. And we can be certain of this. This isn't wishful thinking. We actually can be certain of this. This is not false hope. This is not hope based on wrong thinking, like 
my daddy's a doctor. Okay, that's false hope. Um, Provided some help in the short term. But it's not wishful thinking. In fact, Christianity in general, uh, this trust that we have in Jesus is not blind faith. And the hope that we have for the future is not wishful thinking. In fact, it's grounded in, at least the argument from Scripture, is that it is grounded in objective, historical reality. Very quite outside of ourselves, quite outside of our subjective um, reasoning of what we might believe or maybe what we might feel. And Paul points us to that here. Paul says that our hope for the future is built squarely on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, despair. Despair. But Jesus did rise from the dead. And uh, we see that in verse 14. Verse 14 again, Paul says, We can grieve with hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And man, that is such good news. This is part of what makes the gospel of Jesus the good news that it is. The gospel of Jesus. This is the good news about Jesus. And this is part of what makes it so stinking good. It's that not only did Jesus die for our sins, but he was raised up from the dead. So that guarantees the forgiveness of our sins. That guarantees favor with God. Um, uh, and, And that Jesus rose from the dead. If we believe that, if we trust that, we get raised up from the dead too. This is unbelievable. Uh, So Paul is saying here, really, that Jesus' resurrection, it's like the first fruits of a crop, right? The first fruits come in, you you get them, and and if the the, the idea of bringing in the first fruits is not to stop with the first fruits, you get the first fruits, and they're good, and all the rest of the crop follows in. Jesus was the first one. He paved the way. He rose from the dead. And so Jesus' resurrection is proof positive that, that, uh, that, that what he says he will do for us namely raise us from the dead, he can do it. It's actually been done. There's been a person who's actually been raised from the dead uh, in history. And so it proves that it's possible for God to do what he can do. It's proof that we can trust God's promises. And so hope for our future, it's not wishful thinking in the slightest. It's founded on objective, testable, historical reality, very much outside of our subjective feelings. Jesus did something. He rose from the dead. That's the ground of our hope. That's the guarantee that grieving will come to an end. That's the guarantee that we will be with our loved ones again. That's the guarantee that we will be with them together with Jesus forever. And then with that, verse 18, Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. So last part of the message here. Um, somewhat briefly, how might we do that? A uh, few things to say here. How might we use this hope to encourage one another? How, how might we use this hope to, in other words, comfort one another? I think that's the sense of encouragement here. Comfort, uh, spur on in comfort. Um, how can we do that? How can we feel comforted by this ourselves? And man, this is not exhaustive. We could say much about maybe how we could do this. So I'm just going to mention three things, three suggestions, and they're pretty, um, I think, broad brushstroke. But number one, remember the forest, okay? And gently, gently help one another 
remember the forest. So grief has a way of, of getting us sort of overly focused on the individual trees in the forest, right? And that's okay. In and of itself, it's perfectly fine to focus on the trees. We need to focus on the trees. But, if we, but that can lead to despair if we sort of lose sight of the, the forest in which those trees are planted, uh, if we can't see the big picture. So, so we can remind one another, um, gently remind one another of sort of forest-sized truth, forest-sized promises of God. For example, Isaiah 25, verse 8. Isaiah 25, verse 8 says, God will swallow up death forever. I love that imagery. And he'll swallow up death. And the Lord God will wipe away, every, uh, wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. Or the, or the, or the more specific hope, um, sort of in a nutshell, of, of the chapter or the section we're looking at today. Sort of in a nutshell, Jesus will descend. And so we will always be together with our loved ones in Christ and with the Lord. Big forest-sized truth. Um, help one another to see that. That, that force that really envelops everything, uh, again, all of the individual trees of our circumstances. Actually, I think the Apostle, pa- the Apostle Peter um, does something like this over in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, You have been grieved by various trials. And then a little bit later he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully out there when Jesus comes back. So in other words, in your, in your grieving for, for whatever reason, careful not to hope too deeply to put too much stock in sort of the possibility of, of like near-term relief, but rather set your hope fully on what is actually guaranteed when Jesus comes back. That's the, that's the forest, um, we could say. And so we want to help one another remember that forest gently. It's not the only thing that we say to one another, but this sort of sets the context of the conversation. And then knowing what forest we're in, we can better make sense of the trees around us. Um, number two, another suggestion. Maybe grab this hope and, and, and try to personalize it, okay? Grab what the passage is saying here and personalize it for your particular grief or, or, or that of another. And I think we can do this really with any grief, any reason for grief. We can help one another to do that. Um, uh, but this is especially possible if we're grieving uh, a loved one. Who, who we've lost, who's died in Christ. So, for example, my wife's grandpa died last year. Um, and uh, so with our kids, six, actually six years old today, sharing a birthday with Joshua. Um, so six years ago when our kids came along, my wife's grandpa turned into Great Boppy because uh, uh, her dad is Boppy, and so his dad is Great Boppy. So Great Boppy, um, and we could we, we could look to this passage, and we could sort of preach to our own souls, and, and we and we could say, "Don't be uninformed about Great Boppy, so that you grieve without hope." 
excuse me. Don't be uninformed about great Bobby so that you grieve without hope. Jesus died and he rose again, and so through Jesus, great Bobby will come back again with him. The Lord will descend, and then great Bobby's body will rise up. And then, if we're alive at the time, we're going to be caught up together with great Bobby to meet Jesus, and together we'll always be with Jesus. So, excuse me, try to, try to help one another grab onto those promises and personalize them. Um, the first Thessalonians was written to the Thessalonians, but it was written for us, for God's people throughout the ages. So grab onto the hope here and personalize it. And then number three, and a third suggestion here. We can gently help one another. Notice I keep saying gently. <laughs> um, uh, gently help one another to look to Jesus. And I know that sounds simplistic. That sounds probably pretty trite. I am keeping it sort of broad brushstroke here. But, but even though that sounds simplistic, even though that might sound trite, um, notice that the hope we get offered here really is all about Jesus. Uh, it's, it's, it's all connected to Jesus. Jesus is the linchpin. So the hope that, it, that we have here, this is grounded in who Jesus is. It's grounded in what he's done for us. It's grounded in who we are because of him and what he's promised about the future. Um, uh, the reference is always to Jesus. So Jesus died for us and rose from the dead. Jesus is coming back. Jesus said that that's true. The dead in Christ are in Christ, and they will come back with Jesus, okay? Catching a pattern here. They will be raised up to meet Jesus, and those who are alive at the time will be caught up also to meet Jesus, and together we will always be with Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and, and uh, so Jesus is, is uh, our ultimate source of hope here. Uh, it's about what he has done. It's about what he will do. It's about what he's promised. It's about who he's made us to be because of him. Uh, and so Jesus has got to be our, our ultimate source of grounding for any lasting hope that will be injected into, into any measure of grief that we might feel so that we would not despair, but that we would, in fact, hope. So help one another look to Jesus. That would be a third uh, suggestion. And unlike with Paul Tripp's kid here and his, his false hope based on this false information, uh, you know, kind of sort of looking to his dad, expecting some help that really uh, he can't provide, Jesus is, is, is rock solid. Jesus is rock solid. And he will descend from heaven, and so we will always be with the Lord. No more grief, no more causes of grief. Uh, I think that's uh, the, the hope that this passage intends to give us. It's the information that the passage intends to give us and intends for us to give to one another. Let's pray. So, Lord, thank you for um, the hope that we can hear uh, in this passage. And um, I pray simply that you would cause us to hear it. Cause us to believe that, Jesus, you died and you rose again 
guaranteeing that we can be forgiven of our sins, guaranteeing that we can have favor with God, guaranteeing that we too will rise up again to be with our loved ones forever, free of grief, forever with you, Jesus, the grand prize of new creation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.